But as I was thinking about it, Nehemiah, the true bureaucrat or the true administrator, was very anxious to make this living history. And one thing we get from all these names is that this, this is a story which was real. These are real people, just like you and I. And they might have had strange names to us, but then perhaps ours would be strange to them. But you know, each of these names means something. And the names that end in I-A-H, for example, will be uh, those who are attributed to God, Yah. So I suppose one should pronounce them Yah rather than Aya. However, we're not going to do that. We're going to try and be normal. My wife said, be normal. And I said, is, 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 it, is it possible? I thought, that's asking a lot. <laughs> now, we're beginning on 12, aren't we? 12 from verse 27. 27 to 43. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Natophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, towards the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ella, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some of the priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azareh, Milalal, Gilgal, Maal, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace, to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshanah gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half of the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Maaseiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Eloineah, Zechariah, and Hananiah with their trumpets, and also Maaseiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzzi, Jehananan, Melchiah, Elam, and Ezer. The choir sang under the direction of Jehaz. Jezrahiah. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. 
Do you know, all those, almost all those gates and towers still exist. It's a wonderful thing if you ever go to Jerusalem. Is that the end? 43. Oh. You did a good job with all those names. <laughs> Shall we pray as Peter brings us his word? Father, we pray that you will anoint Peter to speak your words to us this morning and that you will open our ears to hear the message you have for us. Amen. 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 Thank you, Esther. I am not going to try and pronounce any of those names. I'm in the presence of experts, so I'm not going to even try. <laughs> well done, uh, Andrew. And well done to Susie as well at the nine o'clock. That's uh, it's a no-mean feat, that list of names. Do come tonight. It sounds great. Uh, do come for some of it, all of it, whatever you like to do. But Susie would love to see you here later. What an encouraging passage of Scripture that is, really. Wasn't, isn't it? It's amazing. Uh, it's, it, it marks the end of our journey uh, in looking at this book on a Sunday morning anyway. Uh, we've been studying this book since the start of the year, since uh, uh, the beginning of January. Uh, but let's just recap, let's reflect, let's go back a bit and uh, see where we've got to, how we got to where, where we are in this book. Uh, you'll remember, of course, if you've been uh, with us since then, you'll know that Nehemiah was originally the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. That was his, his job, his role uh, in the palace. He was there as a secret service agent to taste the food and the wine of the king. And then he received uh, visitors, friends from home, who told him the bad news of the state of Jerusalem, that the walls and the gates, uh, the city was in disrepair, and uh, that, that sort of cast him into a, a state of depression, and, uh, you know, this is his home city. His homeland is, is uh, really in a bad way. And so he spends time in prayer, in fasting, and really crying out to God, what does God want him to do? And through that time of prayer, God lays on his heart what he wants Nehemiah to do. And Nehemiah, if you like, becomes the answer to his own prayer. And he uh, is convinced he needs to go and seek an audience with the king, and so he does. And uh, Artaxerxes sees him in, his, in favor of his request to go back to Jerusalem and to uh, rebuild the walls. That's what he wants to do. And so he goes back to Jerusalem with the blessing of the emperor, and he finds in chapter 2 this, as he inspects the walls, he says, by night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. So he finds the city in devastation. It is in disrepair. It is not in a good way. Its walls are broken down. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. And so he, he starts this process of rebuilding, told in great detail and with great passion from there on into uh, the rest of the book. Not without opposition, of course, as we know, as we found out, there's these thorns in the flesh, the three characters, Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonites, and Geshem, the Arab, who keep coming back to him, keep trying to put him off course, keep trying to put him off, and he doesn't give in, does he? Nehemiah stands up to them. He withstands their taunts, withstands their insults, all the things they try and throw at him, he stands firm with God's help. And in, in, in God's power, with God's help, the, the walls are rebuilt and uh, the, the people are encouraged to keep on going. And again and again, we see these arrow prayers that go up to the throne of God, one of them being, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands, he prays. 
And God doesn't let him down, does he? He keeps them going. People of God keep on going. And so by chapter 7, in 52 days, the walls are complete. Amazing. What an amazing feat. 52 days. And then last week, if you were here, I wasn't here, but if you were here, Robin Oak was thinking with you about chapter 9 and how the people gathered together to confess their sin. They heard the law read by Ezra, and that brought to mind their sinfulness, their state of, uh, of that they needed to say sorry to God, that they had done wrong, they'd gone the wrong way, and so they put on sackcloth and ashes. Uh, I listened to Robin's sermon over the internet. It's great, you know, the facility we've got on the website. You can hear someone's sermon. Uh, I thought it was great. The people gathered together collectively, and they repented and said sorry for going their own way. They'd broken the covenant that had been made with their forefathers many, many years before. And now with Nehemiah, their leader, they covenant again. They say again, they're going to follow God's ways. They're going to honor his name. They're going to walk in his ways in the light of his love and guidance. And that's how we get to Nehemiah chapter 12. The penultimate chapter. It's not the final chapter of the book. It's the one before that. Uh, But this is the scene where the city is dedicated to God. More specifically, the walls are rededicated. I presume the walls were dedicated originally when it was built. And so they come again together to say, God, we want you to bless this city. And as the title of my talk says, it is time to worship. It's time to worship. This reading, this passage, this scripture is all about how and why we worship. So what is worship? Which is a good starting point, isn't it? What what is worship? Well, worship, quite simply, is giving back to God that which is his worth. It is worth-ship. Nehemiah reminds us of that again and again throughout the book uh, that has his name that he authors. He reminds us again and again through various means and various ways that God is the king of the universe. God is the king, not these other, other so-called kings. No, God is the king. He is the ruler of the whole cosmos. He holds everything in his hands. He, of course, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God Father, Son, and Spirit deserve our praise, our full worship, because he alone is worthy of our praise. So we're going to look at four aspects of worship. Four aspects of the worship that the people of God gave at that time and the way that we can worship God now. And the first way we see them joining in with worship is a time of preparation. There's a time of preparation, and that's uh, shown in verses 27 through to 30, but I'll just read verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully their dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So there's a time of getting ready. There's a time of preparation. There's there's no casual wandering into the sanctuary. There's no sort of slapdash, well, that'll do. That's okay. No, this is a time of worship that takes care and preparation. Nehemiah, if you read it carefully, he, he waits. He's waited and waited for the right time for this dedication to take place. And once it's the right time, 
There's things to do. There are people to gather together. Because it's a corporate act, you've got to bring people to do that together. And so he gathers up the Levites, he gathers up the priests, he gathers up the singers. He has to find a director of music to lead that time of worship and music. And so he gathers them into choirs. They're organized into two huge choirs. There's preparation. Not only that, there's also purification. And in Judaism, I'm I'm sure you know, uh, in, in, in the Jewish faith, there's ceremonial washings, purification rites. They have to wear clean clothes. They have to abstain from certain foods. They have to abstain from sexual relations, along with all the spiritual preparations in their hearts of repentance and prayer. And they have to prepare the sacrifices as well that they are going to to bring to God. And the gates and the doors would have been sprinkled with hyssop branches and with blood. The point of all of this is that there is a time of getting ready for worship and offering. uh, Any biblical scholars out there know what 1 Peter chapter 3.15 says? If you know it, shout it out. If you don't know, look it up. 1 Peter 3.15, does anybody know what it says? If not, do look it up. If anybody gets the page number, shout it out. They were quicker than you at the 9 o'clock. I can tell you they found it by now. <laughs> 1 Peter 3.15. 1219, Joyce. Okay, 1219. And 1 Peter 3.15 says this. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If, if you're into memorizing Bible verses, make sure that's one of, the, one of the ones you memorize. Worship is not just what we do on a Sunday morning. It's not just about singing songs. It's not just about singing hymns. Wonderful and important and as good as that is. No, worship is about all of our lives. All of our lives. St. Peter in his letter says, always be prepared. You might say, always be prepared to worship. And so our whole life is or should be an act of worship. But the point is, are you ready? Am I ready? Am I prepared? Have I done what it takes to worship Jesus with all my life? Some of you may not know this, but I used to teach RE to secondary school pupils. I worked in a comprehensive school for a few years. They are not an easy bunch to teach RE to. No way. Why do I need to know about religion, sir? I'm not religious, sir. It's not, it's not for me. You know, you get, you get this kind of thing going on in, in a lesson, in RE lessons. But as I was told over and over again by the people who were preparing me to teach, the teaching training staff, they said to me, preparation is the key. Preparation is the key. If you don't prepare your lessons well, you will have a lousy lesson. And that is so true. That is so true. And the same is true for you and me as Christians. As we live our lives, as we try to live our lives following Jesus Christ. Are we prepared? What do I mean by that? Well, you'll probably be relieved to know that as a Christian, you won't be uh, needed to do the acts of purification that the Jews needed to do. You won't have to abstain from sexual relations. You won't have to be purified with hyssop branches. You'll probably be relieved to know those things. But what does it mean to be ready in your heart? 
What does it mean to have your heart and soul ready for worship? Well, it might mean saying sorry to God. Saying sorry to God for the things you said or done wrong or thought that are wrong. And that's why we have a confession each week in church, so that we can have that deliberate way of saying sorry to God and and coming before him in repentance. But don't let it stop you saying sorry to God before you come to church, to be in a right place with him before you come to church. Or it might be saying sorry and being sorry to somebody else that you've fallen out with, whether they are in the church or uh, part of the church fellowship or not. To be in a right relationship with others is so important, as much as we can be. Or it could be about being teachable, being willing to learn, having an attitude of humility. And that applies to people who've been Christians for decades or those who've just become a Christian. It's about where our heart is with God. Are we willing to learn from God and each other? It's about God's spirit moving and being open to God's spirit moving in our heart, receiving from God, because God's spirit always wants to pour out upon us his wisdom and his truth into our lives. But first, I would say first and foremost, it's about having an attitude of heart that says, Lord, I want to give my life to you no matter what the cost. If you've got a heart like that, God can use you. He can use me. And he will meet us in worship. So it's about preparation. Secondly, notice the people are worshipping together. Look at verse 31. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, towards the Dungate. And then it goes on into a detailed description of who was in the big choir, the two big choirs of worshippers. But take note, you don't need to worry about the detail, but take note of the different groups who are there, who are participating in worship. You've got Levites, you've got priests, you've got singers, you've got the sons of the singers, you've got the sons of the priests, you've got the leaders, you've got the people, you've got women, you've got children, you've got everyone. The thing to notice is that everyone is participating in the worship service. And in this case, it's a gigantic parade. It's a massive uh, parade around the walls going into... Uh, different ways and they meeting in the temple that's where they meet what a scene that must have been that must have been i hope we're going to do that in our prayer week we're going to do a, a gigantic worship parade around the building here why not try that in the prayer week but it's about it's about involving everyone worship involving everyone let me let you into another not very well kept secret i can't play a musical instrument i can't I can't play one musical instrument. I don't, I, well, all right. I used to play the recorder when I was 12, uh, but then probably most of us did that. Uh, but I don't play the piano, I don't play the trumpet, I don't play the glockenspiel, I don't play the saxophone, etc., etc. So does that mean I can't participate in worship? Of course not. Of course not. The church should be the place above all other places where everyone is loved and valued and encouraged and affirmed. And if you're sitting there today and listening to me or you're listening over the web and you feel that the church in some way has excluded you, can I say sorry as vicar? May I apologize for previous vicars or leaders who may have in some way excluded you? And may I say that each of us is valued and loved for who you are, who we are. 
On what basis do I say that? Well, I say that on the basis of Nehemiah 12, but I also say it on the basis of another great Christian leader, St. Paul. St. Paul said something really important to the early church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I hope you know this chapter well. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, St. Paul says this, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Does St. Paul say some of you? No. He says each of you. Each of you has a part to play. Each of you means each of you. So whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you've been to university 15 times or never been to university, everything has got a part to play. Everyone can bring something to worship. So we need to ask ourselves some questions. Things like, well, I worship if I feel like it. I worship if I like the music. I worship if I like the songs. I worship if my friends are sitting around me. And if that's you, if you can, you know, if you're saying yes to those in your heart, if you're honest enough to admit that, then you need to do some work. There's a bit of work to do with someone that you trust and you can have a conversation with and say, well, that's, that actually is me. Or are you seeking God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength? Are you looking for God to move in our midst? Are you expectant that God is here and that he will meet us as we worship him? Or has it become a bit stale, a bit routine, dare I say it, a bit religious? Let's seek to be a people who expect God to be active in our midst and in our lives, whether that's in a service of worship or in our lives day by day, wherever God has placed us. Thirdly, notice the worship is fixed on God. Look at verse 40. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials. Now there's symbolism here. And notice they are walking around the walls, going in two ways, and then they meet up in the same place. And that is God's temple. They meet in God's temple. And the word dedicate, if I'm not wrong, the word dedicate comes from the word from Latin. And the Latin uh, is to give. It's the, the meaning of dedicate is to give. And so what they're doing is they're giving something back to God. They're offering up the walls, they're offering up the city, they're offering up their lives, all that they are to God. It's not about Nehemiah, actually. It's not about Nehemiah. It's not about the walls. It's not about the city. No, it's all about God. The choirs are singing thanksgiving to God. They're saying thank you, God, for the blessings that you've given to us. Their joys in God because it's God who has inspired them. God has enabled them to build the walls in that time. It's God who's in their midst. Contemporary worship writers and uh, uh, songwriters have picked up on this theme, interestingly, in recent years. And they've, uh, I think, probably remembered that it's all about God. And so in the song, The Heart of Worship, a well-known song we sing, uh, one of the lines is, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. 
And there's another song, uh, a really lovely song called Jesus, Lover of My Soul, written by a man called Paul Oakley. And the verse is wonderful. I won't sing it, I'll say it. It's all about you, Jesus, and all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. How often, though, if we're honest, do we want it to be our way, not God's? But the verse, that verse says it all. It's all about you, Jesus. Our worship needs to be God-centered, God-focused, for it to become authentic and meaningful. And remember what I said at the start. Worship is about our whole life. And so we wake up in God's world. We eat food that is from God's creation. We might drive or walk to a place of work, whether that's the office or the school or the factory or the place we volunteer or the coffee shop where we're having a conversation with someone who we're getting to know and they're getting to know Jesus through us. Wherever it is, God is there with us every second of every day. We're to live lives of worship. That is the purpose for which we exist. And fourthly and finally, there's a God-filled joy. A God-filled joy in that place. The last verse we read was verse 43. And it says, And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. What is the word that is repeating that verse again and again? Joy. Rejoicing or joy. It's a joy-filled rejoicing. Their worship is full of joy. And so full of joy, it can be heard a long way away. A long way away, because it was so joyful. And that's before you get these things, microphones and sound desks and other things. Their worship was full of joy. They had a variety of music, a variety of instruments. And just in this passage are listed harps and cymbals and lyres and trumpets. And there's not only music, there's sacrifice. They're singing with their mouths and they're singing with their hearts. They're giving to God the glory that's due to him. They're offering sacrifices. They're, if you like, opening their wallets to him. Offering their best to God. And quite clearly and loudly, God has placed his joy in their hearts. I wonder if you remember the royal wedding in 2011, just a few years ago, between William and Kate. I thought it was a lovely service. I enjoyed watching it. We were actually in Australia at the time, but we, uh, they, they showed it in Australia. And, uh, but befitting the occasion, it was quite a restrained joyfulness, as you'd expect. But after the service, something quite bizarre happened, and so, something amazing happened. Most of the dignitaries and the VIPs had left the abbey, and uh, one of the cathedral vergers did a most unlikely thing. And this is what the Daily, how the Daily Telegraph reported it. Quote, Unable any longer to contain his joy, the layman who has been named as Ben Sheward offered his own personal flypass to mark the occasion. He strode happily along the red-carpeted aisle in his traditional black cassock, paused with one arm aloft like a cricketer preparing to bowl, and performed a near-perfect cartwheel. (laughs) As he returned to the upright position, the verger smiled broadly and walked a few paces further up the carpet before allowing himself a second cartwheel, which took him just out of view. Isn't that great? Wonderful. In, the, uh, in this abbey, this great 
church, this great cathedral uh, that has seen most British monarchs uh, crowned and wed. This an ordinary man, a, a, a layman, a verger, uh, had just witnessed this royal wedding, and he was so full of joy he couldn't contain himself that he did his cartwheels. What a great picture of the joy that would have filled Jerusalem that day, all those years ago, 2,500 years ago, a place of joy as God's, people's, uh, God's people sang and danced and praised him with music and sacrifice as they asked God to dedicate, to hallow, to bless the walls they just built under his care. May the joy of the Lord be our strength too. So what lies ahead for us here in Basin Hill in 2017? I don't know. I don't know for sure. But I'm going to quote something that I said in my first sermon on this book in, back in January and uh, why I felt looking at this book together would be so helpful. And so I quote, I do think studying Nehemiah is going to speak particularly into where we are as a church right now. Because I'm convinced that God wants to, as it were, rebuild this church. Where it feels like those walls, those relationships of trust have perhaps been broken down and destroyed, God wants to encourage each and every one of us that that we are all part of God's great plan to be salt and light in a dark world. End quote. And where do we start? We start with prayer. As Esther's invited us already, please make uh, good use of the week of prayer and uh, look at the reference leaflet to guide you through the week. But come and be real with God. Come and spend time with God and, and give to God those areas of life that you feel are broken and need his healing touch. And on the final night, on the Tuesday night, the 7th of March, uh, we're going to have a time of, of, of prayer ministry and healing uh, uh, prayer ministry. Uh, I'm also going to ask home group leaders if you could please... Uh, focus on that Tuesday night and uh, bring your home groups to that meeting. That would be great. But come and pray expectantly. Ask God to fill his church with his Holy Spirit, to renew us in our vision. Because it's for all of us. All of us are involved in this, each and every one. So let's go forward together as a church into all that God has got ready for us and to be and to do. May our whole lives be an act of worship, as we work and serve and pray and love and encourage each other and as we seek to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you hold all things in your hand and you know all things. You know what is to come. You know what lies ahead of us. You know the future. And Lord, we hold on to that. We hold on to you as you hold on to us. And as you lead us into the future you have for this church, for this community, we seek your way forward, Lord. We seek to be a people of joy, a people who who seek you together in prayer and in worship. Lord, come and enable your church to be a people where everyone is involved. We all have a part to play in this great act of worship you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.